Good morning, everyone, and blessed Epiphany. Uh, we are still in the Christmas season until sunset tomorrow, so you can certainly greet people with Christmas tide, blessed Christmas tide. You can still give them Christmas presents. If you haven't gotten to that yet, you can certainly do that. Friends, um, last night I let the folks know who were at 530 that I had 13 pages of notes for the homily. And, uh, of course, I can attempt it, but some of you would stone me outside afterwards, uh, which would make me a martyr, I suppose. Uh, and I would go directly to heaven um, because of being martyred. But um, so I tried to, uh, last night I tried to break these into pieces. So last night I spoke about how God, uh, epiphany is manifestation and epiphany and understanding. And God used nature to draw the attention of these wise men, astronomers, and they're not kings. Um, Herod would have acted differently. It would have been recorded if it were. Uh, so it was something different, but that's besides the point. And then God used that to get their attention. <clears throat> Ultimately, uh, they would get their hands, these pagans, on the scriptures. And they had all kinds, and these, they had their own gods. So this becomes amazing that they're seeking out this particular one. And uh, and then by use of scriptures and by assistance of others, because they were traveling, they would eventually come upon an ordinary scene, a woman with a child. They would have to make a leap of faith. They ultimately would have to then trust. And that's what I want to look at, uh, God's faithfulness and his ability to gain our trust, and we should. And that's one of the meanings, one of the other meanings of the epiphany, is God's faithfulness and his trustworthiness. And my friends, the one thing that I know of, and I'm sure I can speak for some of you, is the one thing that I look for and the one thing my heart always stars for is to be able to trust someone, especially uh, in the capacity as pastor, and to be able to come to rely on them and someone who will, when they say something, they'll do it, <clears throat> and uh, will not only <clears throat> promise... <clears throat> But they will never let you down, and they would never abandon you. Someone with enough goodness and enough power to keep their commitments and promises. I think every one of us needs someone that we can lean on no matter what. Someone who we can go to no matter what. Someone uh, who we will be glad to see no matter what. Someone who is utterly faithful. Now, my friends, for the married couples, I hope you find that in your covenant of matrimony. <clears throat> for the single people, hopefully one day you will <clears throat> find that in that other. For me, I have found that in God. The coming of the wise men to adore this baby is one of the Bible's most beautiful proofs of God's faithfulness. More than 500 years before Christ's incarnation, God had promised through his prophet Isaiah. He was going to lead all nations to Jerusalem to share in the light of salvation, to come to understand him, to know him, then to love him. He even promised that they would bring gifts of gold and incense. And through a different prophet, he made the same promise in different words. The kings of Tarshish and the coast will pay him tribute kings of Sheba and Seba. <clears throat> and this is where we get the notion, as you hear in the hymn, 
We Three Kings. It comes from Psalm 72. Um, but that was, sometimes we try and draw too much, and too much was drawn from that. Uh, uh, we don't know that it was just three. It was probably larger, the caravan. And uh, in spite of 500 years of wars and migrations and great turbulence that rewrote the map of, civiliz of that civilized world, three different times, I'm talking about way in the past and Jesus' time and just before, God would did what he said he would do. In this caravan of these wise men and astronomers uh, from different nations, the nations entered into the light of salvation. They brought gifts, tangible gifts. <clears throat> and this shows us that God is good and powerful. It shows that God is uh, not faithful in the abstract, but that God is faithful in the tangible also. He's faithful to you. Our hearts are always starving for someone like this. Knowing that God is faithful is foundational for the spiritual life, for faith. We receive joy as a benefit of believing in God's faithfulness. This is one of the things that's communicated about um, not only in the first reading, but also in the gospel. And uh, God reminds us every day that we can count on him. He is practically begging us to trust him. Begging us to follow him. Just as those that caravan did. They trusted him. At first, it was by way of nature. They noticed an unusual star. We have the benefit of knowledge now, wisdom. And as St. Paul said, not all these things were knowable. They were there, but they didn't understand. Paul says, but by special revelation, I'm now going to tell you. I have, in other words, <clears throat> paraphrasing, I have the key. He gave it to me. Now I'm going to unlock it for you. And Paul would eventually tell us, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to make that leap. And it's going to require risks and sacrifices. But in the end, you will have life eternal. But it will require you to have faith and confidence in him. Not necessarily St. Paul, but Christ. And if we do the same, we shall have a Christian joy that cannot be taken from us, even in the midst of great struggles, no matter what comes our way. But we must trust and have faith in God in all things, in all matters, and not doubt too often. We must trust that God's faithfulness is constant and dependable, and in doing such we stay uh, in this peace that he said, I will give you that the world can't. And uh, my friends, um, I believe last year I shared with you the story about um, St. Paul the Great while, when he was towards his final end and journey and the bishops visiting him. And um, he was um, definitely declining and uh, bedridden and uh, had very little energy. And for the world, the world watched as this pontiff suffered greatly while maintaining his integrity, meaning his peace and his joy. And um, everyone knew he wouldn't be around much longer. 
And as the story goes, an American bishop visited him about that time uh, for the official five-year visit. <laughs> Can't believe the Pope was still doing that, knowing that he was, but this is, he just kept course. And um, every bishop goes every five years to see uh, the pontiff, the reigning pontiff, and speak with him. And this American bishop, uh, in his writings, told us at the end of their one-on-one -on -one meeting, the bishop, he said, I looked sadly and, uh, and I looked into his eyes and said, Holy Father, it saddens me to think that this is probably the last time I will see you. And he said, John Paul looked at him with joy and a smile and said, Oh, really, Your Excellency, I did not know you were having such health conditions. <laughs> and he said he chuckled because he said this peace and joy which this now saint spoke, this kind of joy uh, that he had in his heart. And uh, my friends, I share another story. As a priest, I go and anoint. Mark went with me. We anointed someone last night at the hospital. It was very urgent. But sometimes I go and I never know what people are going to say when I get there. Uh, luckily, no one's ever thrown me out. <laughs> uh, usually they don't request me if they don't want to see me. But I remember one, this person, um, I'll never forget. Because she said, Father, you anoint me and uh, put me in that state of grace. Of course, my dear. And I'm coming. I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm going to say goodbye. And I said, okay. And I never know. Uh, and uh, she said, I won't be here uh, when you return. And I said, okay, all right. And she was like, closer. And I'm like, I figured she's going to give me a kiss. <laughs> and she whispered in my ear, I'm going to be leaving soon. And when I get to heaven, I will tell God about you. In pain and suffering, steeped in joy and peace, great faith and confidence and promises. And I knew she would do as she said. She would tell him, your little priest came <laughs> and did what he was supposed to do. At least in that moment, Heavenly Father, he was being faithful to you. And uh, my friends, um, that's the kind of joy that God wants you to have always in this world that was given by the saint and by this little woman in a hospital with great faith and confidence in God. A deep, abiding, meaningful peace and joy in the midst of challenging and uncertain conditions. This woman was able to speak those words, as was St. John Paul the Great, because they knew in their heart of hearts that God is faithful and loving and compassionate, and that whatever happens, he will be there. He will be their fulfillment, even during times when we lose sight of that light, or to use the star. God is always guiding us if we would just open our eyes and hearts to him. As the journey, we understand it, of this caravan given in Matthew's gospel was not easy. That journey 
that they were on, nor is the journey of faith for us. It's not easy all the time. The wise, the wise men left their homeland at the rising of a star, and they had to travel uh, over treacherous terrain, not only physically, but uh, at the hands of robbers and thieves and people who are probably a little bit on the seedy side, but others who they probably question. We have these scriptures, and it says something. Oh, yes, you want to make your way probably to King Herod. Careful. He's a viper. <laughs> and they arrived at the destination, and we are told that is when the star could be seen no more because the true light was before them. I think that's why Matthew tells us they were so overjoyed when they saw the star again after meeting with that King Herod. At other points in their journey, they probably decided, is this all worth it? Are we chasing after an illusion, a dream, maybe only? But they didn't turn back. They held trust and faith. And oftentimes, uh, they're the scene from Matthew's Gospel in iconography, the, the iconograph, they show the three men, which would be three kings or three wise men, with halos. And when you first look at it, you think, oh yeah, no problem. Well, here's the challenge. They were not Jewish. They were pagans. But when they come across this baby and his mother, they believe because they left their gifts. We're told they knelt in adoration before him. So that means there was a transformation. They became faithful. So this is why the iconographers put halos around them, just as they did Mary and Joseph and Jesus. So my friends, uh, uh, let us work towards that, that faithfulness and that trust. Get those halos, if you will. And, uh, we know that God is faithful and we want to trust him. Um, let us be faithful then to him. That's when we must exercise our faith and trust in God. When we have those moments, we must remain and continue following him no matter what. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He does not abandon. Our hearts can rest in God. He kept his promise. He will keep his promises. The proof was his son coming as the Messiah. And for those who remain faithful to the end, Salvation and everlasting life belongs to them. February 14th. There will be no dispensations. There will be no easing up. February 14th is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent. It's a day of fasting and of abstinence. Abstinence meaning no meat. Fasting meaning one meal. And maybe little nibbles throughout the day, but nothing that is equal to a second meal. So, I'm strongly suggesting to married couples, plan your Valentine's Day celebration on Tuesday, which is Fat Tuesday, here on this side, and in the Midwest we call it Ponchki Day, it's a donut uh, that the Polish people eat. Um, you'll get better reservations on the Tuesday before Valentine's Day. You can still give flowers if you like, um, but no feasting and gluttony on the 14th. So uh, make your plans. I'm telling you now, way in advance, make your plans now. Make that reservation for Tuesday, not for Wednesday. And uh, <clears throat> we want you to enjoy, though, uh, Valentine's Day. And my friends, uh, 
when, um, when we look at, uh, like you this morning, you've journeyed from your homes here. Uh, in little part, we have the story of Matthew. You've come, and each of you come with your dream or your concern or your anxiety, and then you've journeyed into this Jerusalem, to this Nazareth, to this holy place. And you eventually will come forward at communion, and you will gaze just as they did upon the Savior, hidden. For them, it was hidden in a baby. They just looked, and it was a baby. And with his mother, and dad wasn't even there. Did you note? Joseph wasn't there. He was probably out making money. So they had to look, and with faith, they had to say, this is the Savior, this is the Messiah, this is the King. You must do the same every time you come forward for the Eucharist. We lift up, and I say, the body of Christ. And you say, amen. You better start saying amen. Some of you are not, and you're going to get a smack. <laughs> amen means, I believe, truly, let it be. That's what amen says, not thank you. Thank you is what you do when you go back to the pew and get on your knees. Um, and that's kind of a tip to the deacon and I that you are not Catholic, that you're probably Protestant. Body of Christ, thank you. No, 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 no. If you'd like to have the Eucharist, we can talk with you about that and we can show you how we can make that pass. But you too must come forward and must gaze upon hidden in the consecrated host, the Savior. And then you too walk away, hopefully transformed. The story tells us they went by another way. It says because they were on to avoid crazy King Herod. But there's a spiritual meaning to that. They were transformed when they met the child Jesus and they left a different way with joy and peace and the promise fulfilled, filled with faith. You are supposed to do the same when you leave here by another way, differently, filled with more faith. Amen?